It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley, this is CUDA Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, CUDA country, and welcome to another edition of CUDA Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger. In this episode, we'll recap the team's last two games before the All-Star break with highlights and we'll chat with Barracuda Ford's Steen Pashna. On Wednesday night at the Orleans Arena, the Barracuda opened up the scoring against the Silver Knights with a tally from SoCal native Jake McGrew at the 4-10 mark. Back in the day with Portland as it's played up ice, and here comes Jake McGrew, another former Western Leaguer. He'll carry down the wing, fakes the shot, works in, his shot, he scores! Short side, top shelf, Thompson trying to hold it out, but it ends up trickling past him, and the Barracuda draw first blood. And the time of the goal at the 4-10 mark. But late in the first period, Peter Dillabatori was able to fire one through traffic from the left point to tie it up at 1-1. Three minutes remaining in the first period. It's a 1-0 lead for the Barracuda. Silver Knights steer it into the corner. Shots are 8-7 in favor of Henderson. There's a shot from the point and they score. Dillabatori. Through some traffic, and the Silver Knights have tied it up. Then at 4-14 of the second period, fellow SoCal native Evan Weinger would give the Barracuda a 2-1 lead. He's run off the disc. Shamalevsky in the corner boards. Centers in front. Weinger! He scores! What a feed there by Shamalevsky in the corner, and he finds Weinger, who works around. Logan Thompson and puts it in. But with just one second remaining in the second period, Paul Cotter would snap one past Alexei Melnichuk to level the score at 2-2. Eight seconds remaining in the second. Barracuda a little bit on their heels in the tail end of this period. Now Cotter off the bench. His shot scores! It comes with .9 seconds remaining in the period. And Barracuda completely... Hemmed in their own end, they were feeling the pressure. In the third period, the Barracuda, for the third time in the game, would take a one-goal lead, as John Leonard would light the lamp on the power play just 54 seconds into the third. Ben Jones, who took the face-off draw, and it was won by the Silver Knights, so Ryan Merkley will carry it up and out of his own end. He'll drop for, Kin, or excuse me, Shomolevsky. Left wing side, John Leonard. Hands off for Weatherby. Back, Leonard works down the wing. He scores! He sneaks one through the five-hole. A Logan Thompson and the Barracuda on their fifth power play finally get one through, and John Leonard's got another goal. He's up to 10 on the year. But at 5-20, Pavel Dorofiev would tie it up at 3-3. Hallway in there for the Barracuda. It sprung up high to the point. Lecision, little give and go, quick shot, rebounds loose, they score. 
Ben Cotter would score again at 7.57 to give the Silver Knights their first lead at 4-3. And power play is over, so the Barracuda come up empty on their sixth opportunity. Now a short and a chance, and Paul Cotter scores again. He sneaks it through the five hole of Alexei Melnichuk. And the Silver Knights have their first lead of the night. And the villain comes out of the penalty box and cashes in for the second goal of this hockey game. With San Jose's net empty, Cotter would seal the hat trick with his eighth of the season net 1952. And the Barracuda would suffer their fourth straight loss. Seconds remaining now. Ben Jones in front and the empty netter. Hat trick for Paul Cotter. Silver Knights are going to win this hockey game and come from behind fashion. The following night, the two teams would run it back for game two of the two-game set. Just like Wednesday, the Barracuda would score first. At 4.54, Jaden Holmgoaks would cash in for his 11th of the year to get things started. Nine seconds remaining on four-on-four play, and then the Cooter onto the power play. Holmgoaks works in. He shoots. He scores. A short side snipe by Jaden Holmgoax. He scored twice on Monday to snap a 10-game goalless drought. And he pots another one here in the Barracuda. Draw first blood. And it comes during four-on-four play. Then 15-34, the Barracuda would take a 2-0 lead on Adam Raska's third of the year. Now Shemolevsky. He'll steer away from pressure. Skates it atop the blue paint. Banks it off the end wall to the far right side. Raska. He'll leave it for Mark Alt. Head up, rink wide for Patrick Hallway. Sidesteps a man, Bowdens, and carries it into the Ozo. Left wing side has a man down the wing, tap through. They score! But in the second period, the Silver Knights would find their game. At 2.33, Jonas Ronbjerg would light the lamp with his 10th of the year to cut the lead down to 2-1. to one. Jonas Ronberg, his shot, and he scores. I don't know if that puck changed direction or what. Then at 10:41, Paul Cotter, who had scored three times the night before, would pick up his ninth of the year to tie the game up at 2-2. And Cotter will bring it up the right wing side. He'll stick handle his way through, avoids a man, shoots, and scores. Oh my goodness, what a move by Paul Cotter! He had three goals last night. And he's got another one here right out of the penalty box. Just weaved his way through. The Silver Knights would take their first lead of the game on their third power play in the second period as Vegas native Gage Quinney would find the back of the net for his second of the season. Right half wall, near side Quinney. Spins it back to the slot. Controlled by Quine. Right side, one-timer, and it's over the net. A full extension by Sotanko, and they score. Gage Quinney from a sharp angle with Sachenko well out of position. He had to come over desperately on a one-timer off the right flank. And the puck ends up on the stick of Quinney. And Quinney just funnels it towards the 4 by 6 Then in the third period, Jake LeCision would score his 11th of the year to give the Silver Knights a 4-2 lead. Then at 14.57 of the third period, Quinney would again find the twine, this time on a 2-on-1 
for his third of the year. At 17-12, Ben Jones would score an empty net goal before Sasha Shemalevsky would finally stop the bleeding with just seven seconds remaining in regulation. The Barracuda would fall in the second game of back-to-back against the Silver Knights by a final score of 6-3. The team has now dropped five in a row. The Barracuda will play just seven games in the month of February and 14 in March. They'll wrap up their four-game road trip after the All-Star break on Friday night at the Bajongo Arena against the San Diego Goals. When we come back, we'll be joined by Barracuda forward Steen Pashnik. This is Cuda Confidential. Hey Sharks fans, are you planning to move in the near future? Look no further than SM Moving Systems. SM Moving has been a family owned business for four generations. Whether it is a residential move or commercial move for your business, SM Moving can manage all the logistics and planning for local, long distance, even international moves. We are proud to be the preferred moving company of the San Jose Sharks. To request a quote for your next move, go to smmoving.com. SM Moving Systems, quality in every move we make. Now, back to the action. Barracuda Hockey continues now. Welcome back. We're pleased to be joined by Barracuda forward, Steen Pashnik. Steener, first of all, uh, thanks for the time. How are things going? Um, pretty good, Nolly. Can't complain. Uh, happy to be back in San Jose. Well, how was your All-Star break? Uh, I, I don't want this uh, this interview to be dated, but I know the All-Star break was uh, welcomed by many, given the fact that we had an opportunity to get a, get a few days off. And you went back to Arizona, where you spend now your off-seasons uh, back uh, in the Phoenix area. So uh, how was it uh, getting away from the game for a little bit, kind of recharging the batteries? All-Star break was great. Um, you know, as our team, we, we haven't been great as of late so i think it was much needed for everyone just to kind of reset uh, my trip was great went back and just spent some time with my girlfriend in scottsdale um love that place always happy to be there and then there was about eight or nine of the guys who made the trip out of scottsdale too so met up with them um it was just great um honestly really relaxing really good to recharge your battery i'm sure i mean this is going to be kind of a march down the, the final stretch of the season we're past that halfway point of the year and it, it's a war of attrition I, I feel like when you get to that second half especially when the team's struggling and uh, that's kind of been the case, especially as of late. That, that being said, there's still a lot of games to, to kind of make up and, and get right back into the conversation. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you had your parents in town. Michael and Kathy came and visited uh, both yourself and Brinson in San Jose. So uh, being able to play in front of them now as a pro, I don't know if they, they were able to see you at all playing in Orlando. And I'm sure they came and visited when you're at ASU. But uh, was that the first chance for them to see you play a pro game? Yeah, first pro game. It's the first time they've came down in a while. Um when we were at ASU, they used to come down probably like once a month, once every two months. Um, but then COVID hit and they weren't really able to come down that much. Um, so first time, like two years, they've seen me play. So that was really nice for them that they were able to come out uh, happy that they got here safe, got home safe. And it was nice to have them around the hockey world again. I know my my dad lives in, in Arizona. Um, and I remember going to Coyotes games as a kid. And if they played a Canadian team, the building was more than I would say 85%, whatever team that was, whether it was Edmonton or Vancouver or, or Calgary, whoever was playing, it seemed like it was mostly Canadian fans. And that's due in large part to the fact that a lot of them are snowbirds. I don't know if your parents have become snowbirds, yeah. but do they certainly enjoy uh, coming to Arizona, visiting, visiting the kids when you guys are at Arizona state. And is that a place that, uh, that they'll continue to visit in the future? Yeah, they love it there. Um, I mean, they would live down there if they could, but that's where me and Brinson kind of call home now. That's where we reside. So we told them they're not allowed to move to Arizona. Just 
just to, you know, keep the personal space a little bit. They're more than welcome to come visit anytime they want. But, um, but yeah, the, what you said about the, the Phoenix games, we, uh, when I was in college, actually, our whole team went to a game as a team event and they put the Jumbotron on us and they were actually playing the Oilers and underneath my ASU shirt, I lifted up my shirt and there was an Oilers shirt and the, the, the place kind of cheered and went nuts a little bit, but then I ended up getting in trouble for it later from my coach. I guess we weren't allowed to do that. We had to cheer for the Coyotes. That's great. I've seen a video, uh, and I think Spit and Chicklets talked about it a little bit. AJ Brzezinski came to a Coyotes game once, and he was wearing, I think he was wearing, uh, it was like a White Sox or Chicago Blackhawks shirt under his jersey. He was trying to support uh, a team he used to play for. And Keith yeah. Handel sprayed him with a water bottle when he made his yeah. way off of the ice. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sure uh, I'm sure some of the Yotes were, were, were uh, not totally pleased with that, but that's that's great. You got to stick with your allegiance, right? You grew up an Edmonton Oilers fan. You grew up just outside of Edmonton. Uh, you can't change now, right? It's ingrained. Yeah, exactly. Those blood run, bloodlines run deep, you know, like... Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be genuine if you if you were to change change allegiances yeah. now? Um, yeah. I want to ask a little bit, and we've talked about this when we've spoken in the past, but I want to go back to kind of where it all began. You're from Bonneville, Alberta. It's you know a little bit outside of Edmonton. So if you were going to choose an NHL team, it would certainly be the Oilers, the the one that you grew up rooting for. Really small town. I, I looked it up, and it it looks at, like it's only around six thousand people is the estimated uh, population. What was it like growing up in, in Bonneville, growing up in a family? You've got four boys, including yourselves. I, I'm sure there was lots of basement hockey, but what was life like growing up in Bonneville, Alberta? It was pretty wild. I mean, we uh, a lot of basement hockey, like you said, we actually put so many holes in our wall, in our basement, that our parents just decided to take the drywall off and they just put two by fours up around the entire wall so we couldn't put any more holes in it. So that our basement to this day still has two by fours in it. Um, just because of that. Uh, but I mean, growing up in Bonneville, Alberta, it's, you know, a lot of outdoor stuff. You know, we did a lot of hunting. We did a lot of fishing growing up. Um, we were all snowboarders. We all got out the hills as much as we could. Um, a lot of ice fishing in the wintertime as well. And then, you know, besides that, honestly, hockey consumed our time. Um, any extra free time we had in the summer, we had a lake lots. We were always spending it at the lake just on the lake fishing, just doing boat stuff. So, I mean, kind of like that, I guess you could say like a typical Minnesota life is what life up there looked like. Uh, again, going back to your, to your childhood, having siblings, having three other boys, what was your earliest childhood memory when it comes to lacing up the skates and really playing ice hockey, falling in love with the game? Earliest childhood memory of falling in love with the game. I think I probably would... I mean, I'm sure I fell in love with the game way, way before this, but this is just the only memory I could think of when I was about um, probably would have been about eight or nine years old at the time. And uh, we were just out on our outdoor rink that our dad made for us every day, just me and my older brother and his friend. And I think we must have it was a perfect day for we must have spent four or five hours out there on the outdoor rink. And I just remember coming in, wanting to get back out there, just being in love with the game kind of thing. You know what I mean? So I think that was the first memory that I had of actually falling in love with the game. So how was the setup with your ODR? We, we hear, you know, different stories of how people were able to do it, whether it's a little pond or, or they put two by fours up and built boards and, and built a rink there. How was your setup? Uh, so we evolved over the years. The uh, the first rinks we got when we were only like four years old and my dad just made them in our backyard in our small backyard in town was just like 
I think it was probably like a $70 set from Canadian Tire or something, just a plastic wrap and you put some water in it and then take the plastic wrap off. And then we upgraded to, um, we, got, we just got a little bit bigger. I think we got two of them, put them side by side and then we moved houses. And then that's when we started um, kind of building rinks. Um, we had, uh, my dad built a rink where the sides were open. There was nothing on the sides, but behind the nets, there was boards um to stop the pucks and then when we finally built our new one me my dad and my brothers we were all, we all did it together and it's a full-on there's rinks or there's boards and closing the rinks so we uh we got it up to date now that's for sure it took us long enough but when we come home for christmas the uh the outdoor games are intense i'm sure i'm sure and I, and even though you enjoy the off seasons now in Scottsdale and in Arizona, Phoenix area. Um, I'm sure you miss the, the outdoors too, that uh, is provided, except the, the cold weather is probably nice to get. out. Oh, of course. I do. You know what? I was actually, I mean, my girlfriend was just talking the other day and we were wanting to look at buying a place in Montana just because we miss the outdoors so much. Miss that stuff. I honestly even miss the snow too. Like I don't miss the cold, but I miss the snow. I love the snow. I mean, I do too. I mean, growing, growing up in this area of the country, we, I'd have to go to Tahoe to get it, but um, maybe it's because I never had it. I do enjoy it. I'm in it and I'm like, this is great, but yeah. it's, I guess it's in, uh, in doses. I want to yeah. ask, uh, your name is Steen. We all know mm -hmm. your brother Brinson as well. Two really unique names. We mentioned your parents' names, Michael and Kathy. That's pretty traditional. And tell me, you've got two other brothers. Tell me their names and where did your parents get the inspiration for some of these unique names? I've asked them this question before and the, their answer to mine makes me mad, but uh, I've asked them, why did you name me Steen? Like every time I meet someone, I have to repeat my name four or five times before they get it right. And they're like, oh, well, we had this baby book name and we were looking uh, at names in the baby book. And there's this name that said Stein, S-T-E-I-N. And my parents are like, oh, well, we should just add an E here and an N here. And Next thing you know, they come up with Steen, and that's what I was coming out of the womb. So um, I don't know what they were thinking on that one. But and then my older brother's name is Colby. So kind of normal. There's some Colbys out there. And then I have another little brother named Tegan. I'm not sure where they came up with those names either. Probably in a baby book. I don't know. So did all four brothers play hockey? I know Tegan, when I was looking up uh, some of your stats, I, I, he's on there for elite prospects and I'm sure he was the guy that got thrust into the net when you guys were playing. You got the last choice of what position, but uh, did all the brothers play uh, as, as kids? And um, yeah. was, was that the case? Was Tegan the one that you ended up just prying into net? Yeah, we, we all played um, growing up. We all played. Yeah. Tegan was normally the one who got thrown into that, but Tegan developed this thing where like he would get, bullied thrown into the net and he would throw his mini stick or throw his real hockey stick at you like full-on javelin it at you so we ended up having to be careful with tegan towards the end there because he was getting smart with it a little bit but um uh I, everyone played hockey growing up yeah my older brother was a goalie um he was actually pretty good he played up until he was about 16 he started going to um junior a camps back home and stuff and it was looking pretty well then just decided it wasn't for him. He didn't love the game anymore and he decided to step away. So that was up to him. And then um, my little brother, Tegan, he played hockey his whole life too. He was pretty good, but he uh, broke his femur when he was about 14, 15, uh, kept playing, broke it again, kind of had some more issues with it. And that ultimately made him have to uh, give up the game. And then as fans know, I play 
with my little brother Brinson here. He still plays hockey. So I want to ask about Bonneville being that it's a small town. And I don't know if you could really equate this, but when I thought of Bonneville, I thought of high school football, maybe Texas or in the South where everybody in the small little towns go to Friday night lights. They watch the games. Was that the same type of situation in Bonneville with the hockey? You've got the Pontiacs part of the HAHL. Was that the situation? It's a small rink and you've got all just the hometown family friends coming to these games. It was, it a hundred percent was, um, I mean, I mean, just an example, like I remember when we were in playoffs, my 19 year old year, uh, in juniors, um, I think, yeah, it was first round of playoffs. So, and the rink sat, I think our capacity was like 2050. And I think we had 2,600 people crammed in there and the, we just had the fire marshal come down from the fire hall, which was down the street, just come in and supervise it. And he came in and said, Oh yeah, everyone's good. Watch the game. And, so just stuff like that, like it's such a small community. Someone knows the guy, bring him in. It'll be okay. Kind of thing like that. So that's kind of like what you expect when you're playing for Bonneville, when you're in Bonneville, just one big family. I mean, I knew everyone by first name and that's all it is. So when I worked my one season in the North American hockey league, I would say that's a similar league in the States at junior hockey league guys trying to get college educations, get college scholarships. Were you drafted by the Pontiacs? Did they tender you? How did the two brothers, both from Bonneville, end up playing for the club? So in the AJ, there's no draft. As a as a you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kid, you can just pick where you want to go. So that I'm sure that was an easy decision to stay home. Was or were there any thoughts of maybe spreading your wings a little bit going going away from home? No, there wasn't even any thoughts. Bonneville had approached me about midway through my 17-year-old year in midgets and said, we want you as soon as the season's over, we're going to sign you. I said, okay, sounds good. And any team who approached me after that point, I didn't even, it wasn't even talking about. Easy decision. You didn't have to yeah. live at a billet house. You can just live at home and exactly. play for your hometown team, your parents and, and family can watch you every single night. So you play for the Pontiacs and the AJ, you were a captain uh, with the team, your final season. Then you go on to Arizona state. I know Brinson was originally uh, committed. Uh, I believe it was uh to, was it Maine or was it Vermont? One of the two Vermont, Vermont, Vermont. So he's originally committed to Vermont. He decommits. He ends up uh, committing to Arizona state. You guys both get offers. And I read that that was one of the, the greatest moments of your life when you both were, were offered at Arizona state. Walk us through that process. How did you end up a sun devil? When did the offer come down the pipeline? How did you get connected with Greg powers? What transpired to get you out to, to Arizona? So, so like you said, Brinson was committed to Vermont. Um, I was in my 20 year old year juniors. So my last year juniors. Um, and I think we had about, I would probably say 30 games left in the season. Brinson was already committed. And I started, um, finally getting some calls from some colleges that had some interest in me. Um, so a couple of weeks go by, I'm still talking to these schools, kind of getting, almost getting ready to make a decision. And Brinson like realizes that, we could play together and I realized that we could play together. And so Brinson decided to decommit from Vermont. Um, and then after that, we just kind of took a step back and we were going to wait to see what schools like both of us um, see what schools were willing to, you know, take in both of us. So um, there was about 10 games left in the season and we were pretty much almost ready to commit to this one school. And um I remember walking into the rink for a morning skate before a game and I got a call on my phone. Uh, it said, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. And I was like, what? So I walked out uh, to the dressing room, took the call and it said, uh, Hey, seen this is coach Mike Fields from Arizona state. And it just felt like, 
my stomach dropped like me and Brinson had talked about since we were little kids. Like if Arizona state ever got a division one hockey team, we would want to go there. Um, so when I got that call, just your body kind of goes all tingly. So I talked to him and then got home, talked to Brinson, the head coach called Brinson as well. Um, and from there it was kind of just see you later. We committed to Greg powers after the first phone call. I think, I mean, we were all in on that program, a brand new program. We were ready to hit the ground running and just go. Had you ever been to Arizona before? Did you know anything about Tempe, the campus? So you never went on a visit before you committed. Nope. Never been to Arizona, never been on campus. We knew it was Arizona state. Uh, we knew it was a new program. We knew that the weather was hot. Um, we were going to get to play hockey and that's, you know, that was our thinking at the time and it worked out. Like It did work out. It did work out. I want to ask what you thought of the campus the first time you, you stepped foot on it. I've been to Arizona state. I went to U of A and both campuses are beautiful, but you've got the, a lot of brick and it's it just, they're just wonderful campuses. You got the palm trees. Mm-hmm. It's like paradise, right? Uh, yeah. what do you make of it the first time you stepped foot? Did you say it? Wow. This is better than I could have even imagined. Yeah. Like going in, there's so many emotions, like, people got to understand that I came from this small town of farming oil field and outdoors. That's it. Like, you know, I had to drive three hours if I wanted to see a building that was over four stories tall. Um, so, um, getting onto ASU campus was just like a complete, it was mind blowing. Thank goodness. We flew down in the summertime when no students were there because taking in, you know, all the structures of all the campus and uh, all that stuff is one thing, but doing it with students is a complete different thing. So, when we got down there, the campus was absolutely beautiful. And uh, then we got to go home for a bit and then flew down for the start of school. And when we got there for the start of school, I honestly don't think I showed up to a class for the first two weeks I was there because I got lost every single time I tried to go to class. And I, my financial advisor, or sorry, my academic advisor called me and was like, you haven't been showing up for class. And I was like, I've been trying. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> They're like, you know, you're supposed to go to class as well. You yeah. just play for the hockey team. Now, yeah. first time you stepped off of the plane, and I know you guys go by Celsius north of the border, but Fahrenheit here in the States. In the summertime, it's anywhere from 110 to close to 120 degrees every single day. What did you think of the heat when it smacked you in the face? It was honestly too much to handle the first time you got off the plane. Like when I got off the plane, it was like you go to breathe in and it's just like hard to breathe kind of, you know what I mean? Um, So it was, it definitely took some getting used to. You'd be amazed how fast you get acclimated to it though. It is incredible. I remember the first time I, I think I was moving into my apartment. I had some heat stroke. I think I had to honestly lay down and just like catch my breath and drink water because it is, it's that hot. Now, just like the cold, you kind of get used to it over time. Yeah. You sit by the pool enough, you dip your legs in the, in the water, and that cools you down pretty quick. Yeah. Um, being that it was a new program at Arizona State, just I think one year prior they had played at the NCAA level, and that may have been that split year where they were part club, part Division One. What was it like going into a program where you're still in the infancy, so you're still trying to educate fans, first of all, fans and students, what you have here, and that's a Division One program. But the team's playing out of a practice rink. You've got a weird kind of hodgepodge schedule where you're playing out of conference. You didn't even have a conference, really. What was it like being part of basically a startup, an expansion team, if you will? I mean, it was different. Like, But that was one of the main selling points for us was to be able to build a culture and build a program like that. Um, so 
like you said, they, the year before me, they played half division one games and half like division three slash club games. So uh, my first year coming in was first fully division one. So uh, we had a really hard schedule too. I mean, our coach like put together a tough schedule. We had a bunch of ranked opponents all year long, stuff like that. So, I mean, honestly, you just, you take it day by day in a locker room like that. Um, Thank goodness that the coaches did a great job and we had um, a bunch of great guys in that locker room. I mean, my first, actually every year I was at ASU, there wasn't a single guy who I wouldn't die for on that team. You know, if he made a mistake, I was willing to block that shot with my head kind of thing. And that's how everyone, everyone felt about each other in there. So I think that helped a lot, but I mean, just take it day by day in there, focus, you know, the first two years we focused a lot on the little victories, the little positives. You know, if we played a team that's ranked 15, and we stay with them all game and they score a goal within the last five minutes to win. That's a good game for us. That's, you know, that's a moral victory for us. So we took a lot of those the first couple of years. And then as we started to get better, it was kind of like, okay, no more of those victories. Now we need actual wins. And then our junior year was when the class that our coach brought in really took a step and really kind of, um, you know, went off and we were able to make the tournament that year that we're going to be in the tournament our senior year again, but uh, unfortunately COVID hit. So that's all it was just taking it day by day, loving what you're doing, going to the rink and loving the guys you're being around. I think that if you can get a group of guys who you love to be around, doesn't matter where you are in an office job or at a rink, you're going to love what you do. So Steve Patrick, we can't uh, thank you enough for uh, hopping on here. It's, it's fun to hear your story, man. Uh, it's uh, it's been fun watching you this year too, since you've come back up from the, the ECHL and uh, continue, uh, continue playing well and, and continue grinding away, man. We appreciate the time. Thanks, Nolly. Thanks for having me on. A big thank you to Barracuda forward Steen Pashnuk for joining us on this episode of Cuda Confidential. A reminder, the Barracuda are back on the ice on Friday night at the Pajanga Arena. Puck drop is scheduled for 7 o'clock as we'll have pregame coverage on the Sharks Audio Network beginning at 6.30. And you can also watch the game at AHLTV.com. That's going to do it for this episode of Cooter Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger saying thanks for listening and so long until next time.